Morning, everyone. How are you all doing? You ready to get hyped up on sugar tonight? <clears throat> uh, typically, we only buy candies that we like to eat ourselves, so that if there's any left over, of course, we have to consume them <clears throat> just to be good stewards, you know, of the candies. How many of you, when you were younger, got in a car and drove for thousands of miles to go on a vacation with your family um, just to see relatives or friends? Any of you get to do road trips with your family? Yeah, that's, that's one of my kids' favorite memories. I remember as a young kid, we would drive from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, down to Southern California, where my grandparents lived. And that's not a one-day drive. Usually, it's a couple of days in a hotel. And this was the exciting thing, you know, getting to stay in a hotel, using the swimming pool, eating at McDonald's all the way down, because my dad didn't have a lot of money. So <clears throat> hamburger, 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 hamburger. <laughs> and, uh, but finally, we would reach the destination at my grandparents' place, and we unload the car, and it was just this, all this excitement, because we were going to go to Disneyland, we were going to get to swim in their pool, we were going to go to Knott's Berry Farm, and, and all these different, and go to the beach, and surf in the, in the ocean, it's freezing there, but you know, you do it anyway. Uh, all the, the anticipation of the trip was worth the, the, the price of getting there, I felt. It was like, we're on vacation. And we're going to go to Grandma's place. And, and of course, she baked all of the favorite foods. So mine was um, banana cream pie. That was my favorite thing. Others had uh, lemon meringue or whatever. Um, but it was just the anticipation. Finally, you just, when you get there, you, have to, you put the suitcases down, and you just you relax. And you just uh, are thinking about what's going to come up in the next week. Well, in many ways, that's what worship can be like, just the anticipation of coming in, in the presence of God, coming with his people all week long, we're kind of waiting to come back together to celebrate God's goodness over the week. And it's, it's funny, though, when, when there's so much that we can access in worship, it seems like for the past 40 years, worship is both the most controversial aspect of Christianity and I'd say the most mis misunderstood as well. I don't know if you, uh, about you, but uh, I've heard over the years people say such things like, uh, worship wasn't very lively today. Or after the third song, I was really getting into worship. Uh, or why can't they sing the songs I like for worship? Or I really like the worship at that other church better. Um, it's, a it's an apparent that worship has become a consumer product, that we're going to church to get worship, to receive worship in some way. And... Uh, it's, it's sad because what we call worship today is a far cry from what I believe biblical worship actually was, particularly, you know, the Old Testament. We don't worship like they did in the Old Testament. We don't have to bring your, okay, bring your cow, sheeps over there, goats over there, cows, and then we'll have the sacrifices and the burnt offerings. I'm thinking um, animal rights people would be up in arms. They would shut that down pretty quick. SPCA would be all over us. Um, so we don't worship like the Old Testament. We don't have to do sacrifices for sins like, um, like they had to. It was costly, costly to go to worship many times. But the New Testament, it shifts the focus because Christ paid the penalty for our sin. We don't have to do that now. We just come to celebrate his goodness to us, his sacrifice for us. He died for us. We don't have to bring the cow or the fatted calf or the, the lambs or the whatever you have to offer as a sacrifice. He did that. So we can just sort of knock that component out of worship, and then we bring in 
uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and words of, of, of um, encouragement, that kind of a thing. But really, to be honest, in the New Testament, it's pretty sketchy in terms of uh, talking about worship, what they actually did. There's very few passages that describe a worship service. So I, down in its, its core, um, to me it seems, um, you know, worship has evolved over the years or the centuries. We no longer, you know, typically have organs and pianos and choirs. I remember when guitars and drums were introduced into worship, like those days. Um, you know, why can't we sing the old songs? Which old songs are we talking about? Martin Luther, old uh, or, you know, 50s, in the 50s or in the 70s. Now it's old songs of the 90s and the 2000s. <laughs> what are we actually talking about? So I, to me, I'm not really going to talk about the, the worship wars or the songs or the drums or the guitars. I want to scan the Bible just quickly and look at a few examples of what worship, ha- worship happening. And then I'm going to look at a handful of stories about what I believe worship is all about. And this is my, my you're, I'm taking you on my journey as a worship leader for 15 years and pastor for another dozen years, uh, I've thought about this for a long time. Isaiah 6 is one of the most famous passages that talk about Isaiah's encountering God. It talks about in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, one, he's talking about a vision he gets of heaven, and this is just it's an overwhelming vision. And he, he sees himself in, in light of who God is. And angels are crying to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of the one who cried. And the house was filled with smoke. When when the angels are crying out, it's like everything was shaking. This was a momentous occasion. It was overwhelming to Isaiah. And it would be amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing as we were singing, as we are praising God, that the building started shaking, not because of an earthquake, but because the presence of God enveloped. And it talks about smoke coming and filling. We, we see this again later on. How about Elijah? One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. I actually sat um, on the mountain where he called fire down on the sacrifice. And it was, uh, I couldn't imagine one guy standing up against hundreds of prophets, false prophets, I just, what, what would that, what kind of courage would that take? So he, he cries out to his God. First Kings chapter 18, it happened at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet came near and said, God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done these things according to your word. In verse 37, he says, hear me, O Jehovah, hear me, that these people may know you are God and that you have turned their hearts back again And the fire of Jehovah fell and burned up the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw, they fell on their knees and said, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. It's not a worship service, but it's someone that was crying out to God in a moment of desperation, needing God's intervention, and God showed up. How about Paul and Silas in jail? Acts chapter 16, verse 25 Towards midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and praising God, singing a song. <laughs> Sounds like a worship service to me, a little bit. Two guys being beaten up, and now they're chained in a prison cell. Hey, let's have a worship service. And they just start singing. They didn't know. It. Like, it wasn't in the rule book that at 12 o'clock, if you sing a song, 
and say praises, I'm going to bust you out of jail. That wasn't in the playbook. They just wanted to praise God. And what happened? An earthquake happened. And the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and all the bonds were loosed. Again, what's with the shaking? People praising, crying out to God, and he shows up. How about Revelation 4? Around the throne, I saw 24 thrones. This is John saying. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white clothing. They had crowns of gold in their head. And out of the throne came lightning and thundering and voices, more shaking. And four living creatures had no rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever these living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 24 elders fell down before the one sitting on the throne. And they worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And they threw their crowns before the throne saying, Oh Lord, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. And for your will they are and were created. When people encounter God with open heart and sincerity, authenticity, crying out to him, no, no faces, no, no pretensions, just pure, raw, this is who I am, God. And he says, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know who you are. Thanks for coming genuinely to me today. When, when we encounter God, it seems like something takes place that's amazing. So my question is, why don't we have amazing things happen every week? I'd love to see something amazing every time we get together and we cry out to God and we offer our worship and our praise to him and we, we, we bring our needs before him and he shows up and something happens that would not have happened otherwise. Or sometimes we can see our worship that sounds more routine and more, more mundane. Um, and then I thought to myself, wait, wait a minute, this is, worship's not entertainment. Worship's not what we receive. I could get caught up in the, oh, the drums are a little loud, oh, the music was a little off, or the harmony's a little pitchy. But that's not what worship is. I'm supposed to bring worship. The worship's not happening up here. It's happening out there. We are offering to God something worthy of him. We bring worship with us in, in our hearts and in our mouth and in our soul. We are the ones offering our worship to Almighty God on Sundays. We're not receiving it. We're not being entertained by the crew up here. They're, they're also worshiping too. It's hard to worship while you're trying to get the right chord and the change and all that kind of stuff, but they're, they're, they've learned how to offer. This is an act of worship. Just I'm giving you my talent today. I'm giving you my heart and my soul and all my preparation for you, God. Not for these people. It's all for him that we've come to see. So my understanding of worship comes a little bit uh, from Romans 12:1, where it says, I urge you, brothers, and view of God's mercies to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that are holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable way for a worship. So in essence, it's bringing something to God. And so I want to look at a couple of passages here that describe people coming to God and see if you fit in any one of these ideas. Consider this, Hebrews 12, 28. This is what I believe the true definition of worship is in all of the scripture I, I, I camp out on this one. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God in reverence and fear. And here's the key, in a way that pleases him. Let us be thankful and worship God in reverence and fear in a way that pleases him, not in a way that pleases us. 
We were hoping that when we worship God and it's pleasing to him, we could come here and do lots of things for hours and hours and, and God just say, yeah, I'm not interested. That's not what I'm looking for. Your hearts aren't clean. You haven't, you haven't confessed your sin. You still have hatred towards your brother. You still are fighting with your wife or your husband when you come in here and you think your worship is acceptable. There's certain conditions that God sets out to make worship acceptable to him. I, uh, I'm just going to throw this verse into Matthew 2, too, because I, I like the, the, the wise men. Anyone? You know, the wise men, is, we're, gonna, we're coming up next month kind of thing to his. They'll be showing up a little bit later. <clears throat> um, they're so bold. They say when they, when they show up in Jerusalem, they say, um, where is the one who's born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. If they traveled, this is like going to grandma's place. It's like they traveled for, for maybe months and finally ended up in Jerusalem. This is the place. This is what is going to happen. We're going to just come to worship Jesus, the one who's born king of the Jews. So let's look at these incidents. First of all is Luke 21. There's a, there's a lady who's a widow, and we call this the widow's mite. And a mite is the name of a small copper coin that's worth not even a penny, less than a penny. And she's got two of these coins left. We assume that probably that's all she had left. And she was coming to the temple. Jesus and his, his disciples were off on the side. And Jesus was watching all the people bringing their offerings. And this lady walks by, probably shuffling past, and takes the two coins that she has in her, her pouch, slips it in, and just walks out. Who saw her? Nobody but Jesus. Jesus was the only one who noticed. And Jesus said, out of all of these people today who brought all their, their money and threw it into the offering uh, receptacle, that's the lady that I want you to notice. Don't miss her. Notice her. In fact, if Jesus hadn't said this to his disciples, we never would have known this story at all. What he's basically saying is, everybody, hello, I want you to focus on this lady because that was awesome. What she did, she did more than everyone else that was here. She only gave a penny. No, but she gave everything she had. And that's what I'm looking for. I want a heart that just says, God, I got nothing left except you. I got to depend on you now. You're my all in all. I got no money and I've got no family but you. And I, I expect that that lady was blessed beyond her dreams that week. I bet Jesus honored her sacrifice. Why did Jesus point that out? Because it was a true act of worship. And we get a glimpse of the kind of worship Jesus is looking for. He drew our attention to this situation on purpose and that we would never, ever forget it. What about in Luke chapter 7? One woman is worshiping God through giving, another one is worshiping God through confessing her sin, and uh, I guess humility more than anything. She bursts into a party. She shows up. She starts washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. Have you ever had an opportunity to do that for anyone? Can you imagine going, and I mean, privately, maybe somewhere without people looking, but she went in where there was a bunch of guys there uh, actually quite embarrassed for her. They were, she, oh, 
how, how, how demeaning that she would do that. She was so grateful for what God had done in her life, forgiven her of her sins, that she just she came in to show her gratitude. Poured perfume on the feet. This was kissing his feet. Like that's that's gross. But what she said is, this guy, he forgave my sins. He gave my life back to me. I owe him everything. And I don't care who is watching. I care less if anyone thinks anything about me. It's just me showing my gratitude to my Lord. Jesus doesn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm eating. Like, maybe after dessert we can do this? Or, or, you know, he's just like, he didn't, everyone was watching and he allowed her. It was an act of worship, bowing down before him. Being, there's nothing more she could have done to be more humble than to take care of someone's dirty, stinky feet. And Jesus points it out. No one, he says, look, I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me a towel to clean my hands or wash my face. You did nothing for me. She has done everything for me. Like, grab a clue (laughs) what you should have done. I'm your guest in your house. You didn't show me common courtesy. And since I got here, she hasn't even stopped washing my feet. Have you ever been in a place in your own life where you're so grateful to God for what he's done for you how he's given your life back to you, how he answered that important prayer right at, the, right at that juncture in your life, gave you an answer that, you, that blew your mind, and now you realize you owe everything to him. And nothing is too much to give back to Jesus. Have you ever had a, a time in your life where you, you just realize that God has blown your mind with his goodness and his amazingness? Well, there's another, another moment here, and I like this one. It's not actually a worship service, but... What I like about Thomas in John chapter 20 is that he's kind of honest with, with everyone. He's a doubter. They call him, I think it's a, a, a bad name because I'm a Thomas too, and I always thought he got a bum rap on this one, but okay, Thomas the doubter, okay. Uh, he wasn't there when Jesus showed up with the disciples. He says, unless I put my, my finger in the, the, the nail prints in his hand and touch the spear jab in his side, I won't believe. Okay, like seeing is believing, and Thomas had a tough time. And so Jesus actually makes an appointment in his notebook, got to go see Thomas. He's someone that we need to keep around. (laughs) We need to honor his doubt. And uh, he shows up when Thomas is there, and uh, he says, Thomas, you (laughs) you know, here's the, the nail prints in my hand, in my feet. You can touch them if you want. And what does Thomas do? He's blown away by God's generosity. Jesus showed him a lot of respect and honored his doubt. And Thomas says, and I think personally that this is one of the best confessions in all of Scripture. Thomas looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. At that moment, I think Thomas got it. He understood that This is more than just a man, more than someone that got crucified. This guy is totally different than anyone else they've ever come across. He did some miracles, great, but he was crucified and he came back and he met me personally, he says. Peter had an interesting confession when Jesus asked him, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, John the Baptist, some prophet come back to life. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
But Thomas goes one step further, not the Christ, the Son of the living God, but my Lord and my God. Worship is confession of who you say Jesus is. Who do you believe Christ is? Have you, have you stood, like oftentimes when we have baptism, this is a time of confessing your faith in Jesus. I'm gonna follow Jesus as Lord and Savior by being baptized because he said that's what he wants me to do. It's a way of confessing that Jesus is your Lord and, and your God. But have you ever had other opportunities just to stand up and say, I just want everyone to know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior and I am for him because he's for me. I love us to have those opportunities from time to time, just to have you stand up and make a a good confession of your faith. Because Jesus is still, to these days, asking, who do you say that I am? It's part of your worship is to confess who you say Jesus is. There's another story in Mark chapter 9. It's the father of a demon-possessed son. This is another coming to Christ story where a desperate father brings a demon-possessed only child that no one else could heal. And the key verse in this story is what I want to focus on. Um, He says, Jesus, can you do anything for me? I asked your disciples, they could do nothing. And this is when Jesus says, oh, how long am I going to be with you? Bring your son here. And it says, anything is possible for those who believe. And the key verse is that the dad says, "Um, I believe, but help my unbelief. Anyone here have any doubts? Uh, You can actually raise your hand. Anyone here have any doubts? Sometimes we doubt that God cares. Sometimes we doubt God's going to come through. Sometimes we doubt that if we actually tithe our income like he asks us to, that he won't help us pay our bills at the end of the month. We we, we doubt that he's going to answer that big prayer about healing or about a spouse coming to, to salvation. We doubt these things because that's kind of our nature. And The dad is actually honest enough. I love this verse. I do believe, but part of me doesn't. Because I've seen failure after failure after failure with my son. No one's been able to help him. Can you do anything? Jesus honors his doubt. And I think after that moment, he never doubted again. I don't think Thomas ever doubted again when he saw Jesus face to face. You know it's okay to doubt? You know, it's okay to come in. If you think that all of the elders and the staff and, and all these people don't have any doubts ever, you don't know people very well. I have doubts, and God meets my doubts all the time. He, he proves himself over and over and over again to me, and I testify that he answers prayer. I testify that he intervenes when we ask him to. There's one more story about worship. So I... I Worship through giving, um, worship through confession of sin, repentance, worship through confessing our faith in who God is, worship um, through believing in God and, and handing even him our doubts when we walk in, because we're, we are a people of hope. We hope, God, you're going to come through, and he does, time and time again. Well, the last story is about Solomon's temple and his dedication in 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon, when he's built the temple with all of the um, materials his father David had put together, finally it's the day to open, grand opening, grand dedication. God shows up. Thousands of sacrifices are made. It's just opulence. This is way over the top. Nothing has ever been seen like this before or since what Solomon did dedicating this temple. 
And God came and said, you know what? I accept. I'm going to place my name here. I'm going to place my presence here in the Holy of Holies. And this is where you can come and meet with me. It happened when the priests had come out of the Holy of Holies, the cloud filled the house of the Lord. And the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. And Jehovah appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your cry for which you have made before me. I have made this house which you have built holy to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. What does God actually want from us when we come? What are we to do? What are we to be or to bring in worship? How do we, how do we offer something to him that's actually acceptable? There's three passages that give us a clue. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings or sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. The question is, before you came here all week, have you been obeying the voice of the Lord? Have you been following in what God has asked of you to represent him as his ambassador? Have you been spending time with him to even know what he wants of you in the first place? To obey is better than sacrifice. You can give a bunch of money in the plate, but God's looking for your heart. He wants to know that you love him, that you, you want to follow him, that he truly is your Lord and Savior. Another passage is Micah 6, 8. He's shown you. He's shown you what is good. He's shown you what he requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If, this is, if, if God is telling us what he's expecting we should probably figure out what it means to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God, and to do justice. How do we do that in our home, in our marriage, or at our workplace? Or when we feel out of sorts, how can we still do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God? He says, that's the person that I love to walk into my presence. That's who I'm looking for. If you want to worship me, that's the attitude I want. And Psalm 24 says something similar. He so David's asking, how can I go up to the hill of the Lord? Who, who can even stand in a holy place? And it says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, who has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him and who seek your face, O God. Clean hands and a pure heart. Humble. This is what God is saying, I'm, I'm looking for in my people. It's all about how do you treat others. These are actions that are not really for him, it's for others. He's saying, he's watching us to see how we've been treating our brothers and sisters. He's watching us to see how we ha handled customers and neighbors and our kids and our spouse and our relatives. Did we, did we show justice? Did we give mercy? Did we have pure hearts with them? Then he says, you're good to go. Come on in. I'd love to accept your worship today. See, though, these, are, these are things that God is looking for in our hearts, and we can debate which songs are the best ones to sing or whether we should have liturgy in our service or more or less or all the sorts of things that we should include in the service. But really, he's, God is looking for you, looking for your heart. What are you bringing to him? How have you lived your life this week? And will your worship be acceptable in his presence? Well, let me ask you, maybe today you are doubting God and you need a reminder of his love. 
Maybe you're not quite sure about this God thing. Maybe you prayed and nothing happened. Maybe you read the Bible and it just doesn't make sense. He says, test me, try me. He says, I'm, I'm good for my word. I will come in and I will, you open the door, I'm gonna come in. I'll come into your heart. You'll learn more about me than you ever thought possible. Maybe you just need a reminder that his love for you is real and he does care about you. Or maybe, you, maybe you've blown it this week. Maybe you need to come for forgiveness. Maybe you need to confess some sin and get your heart right with him. Maybe you need to make amends with somebody. And right now the spirit of God is talking to you saying, you messed up. You know you messed up. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. You got to make it right with your brother or sister or the one that you've hurt. You got to do everything you can to be at peace with them. Maybe it's just to say, God, I messed up. Forgive me. Or maybe like the widow, you're living day to day depending on God. Your quiet faithfulness is not overlooked. God sees you. You're not <laughs> invisible to Jesus. And he blesses you. He blesses your faithfulness and he rewards your dependence on him by coming through for you. Maybe some of you are looking to Jesus to heal your brokenness or bring wholeness in your heart and in your life. Maybe you've come here broken and needy and just needing someone to give you a hug and say, it's gonna be okay. Jesus sees, Jesus knows, and Jesus will heal. Maybe today you just want to worship him. Offer yourself once more as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. People come to worship for a lot of different reasons. There's no one size fits all. Everybody comes to Jesus with something different. Every time they came into his presence and he accepted them the way they were, and you know, most of the time they left changed because they met Jesus face to face. We're going to have a song here to close our service out. We're going to have our pews open for prayer and our elders will help. If you have a, a, a need in your life right now that you just need affirmation that God sees, that God cares, and you want someone to pray with you, then come, come at the front here or, or just kneel down where you are at the front and just say, God, I'm coming to you like all those people Pastor Tom just talked about, coming to you because I need you in my life. I want to give my life to you. I want to be a sacrifice for you. I want to be a living, breathing sacrifice for you, bringing others to you. So let's stand together as our team sets up. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. And if God is touching you as he's working in your heart today, don't care what anybody thinks. Don't care that anybody sees. You come to Jesus and let him work in your heart. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for how you demonstrate over and over and over your love for us, your care for us, how you can heal a damaged soul in a broken heart, how you can bring wholeness. Thank you, God, for your love for us, for your presence here today, for the opportunity we have to worship you. Pray this in Christ's name.